Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't just save us as individuals, but you save us to be part of a family. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing it has been already uh, over these few days to go away together, to meet around your word and to enjoy uh, the fellowship and the friendship that we have through Christ. So we pray now as we come to your word, you would help us to understand more of how you will grow us together as a church. Help me to preach faithfully and clearly. May you be at work among us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christianity is not an individual sport. Christianity is not an individual sport. Some of you may know that I'm actually quite a big Formula One fan, and so I'm quite excited that the new uh, season is about to kick off. Uh, but for those who are not very familiar with Formula One, you might be tempted to think it's an individual sport. You know, it's all about that crazy guy behind the wheel, flying around a track at 300 plus kilometers an hour. After all, as you watch the race, it's their name that is displayed on the screen uh, as the race goes on. But if you thought that Formula One was an individual sport, you've got it all wrong. Uh, it is a team sport. Yes, of course, the driver is very important uh, to the team, but no matter how good the driver is, he'll never win without his team. If he, if he doesn't have a good car, if he's got a very slow car, it doesn't matter how fast he can drive it, he's still going to lose. A Formula One team, it has race engineers, strategists, pit crews, uh, and more. And unless they design a fast car and, and come up with a good race strategy and change the tires in, uh, in, in, a, in lightning speed, then it doesn't matter how good the driver is, he will never win the race. And what we need to understand today is that Christianity is not an individual sport. Uh, we'll see in the next talk that it's very important that we're growing individually, personally as Christians. It's vital that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which we nurture and we grow, but we must beware of any suggestion that you can be a Christian and not be actively involved in a local gathering of the people of God, actively participating in a church. No, we are saved, not just as individuals, we are saved to be part of a family. And that's what the first point we'll see today. God saves us to be part of his church. We're saved into God's family, and that means that we're connected to each other. We need each other. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Uh, Paul writes, Then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. In other words, there's, there's no such thing as a, as a private Christian who never meets with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We're saved into a family and families spend time together. I just want you to imagine that you, you never spent time with your family. Uh, maybe you lived in the same house, but you never talked to them. Uh, you never had any meals together, you never went away on holidays, you never joined them uh, in all the Chinese New Year festivities or Deeper Valley or whatever it is. Uh, it, it's kind of unthinkable that it would be like that, isn't it? If you are a family, then you will spend time together. You will talk to each other, you will do things together because that's what a family is. And so it's the same for us as Christians. We are saved into God's family 
And it's inconceivable that we would not spend time together and talk to each other and help each other and love each other just like we would do with our own physical family. Uh, and so as you look through the New Testament, you'll find that it's full of these one another commands. Uh, commands that you can't possibly fulfill or obey without meeting with other Christians. Now listen to this, uh, this list, and this is not exhaustive. Uh, love one another, instruct one another, greet one another, comfort one another, serve one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, forgive each other. Next slide. Admonish one another, encourage one another, build one another up, exhort one another, stir up one another to love and good works. That's actually from Hebrews 10. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, show hospitality to one another. We could go on. That is not an exhaustive list of all the one another commands in the New Testament. But it is fairly comprehensive, isn't it? There's a lot of things that we're commanded to do to one another. See, you and I, we need each other if we are to grow as God intends. You cannot grow as a Christian if you do not grow with God's people. You cannot grow as a Christian if you do not grow with God's people. You will harm other people's growth if you don't meet with God's people. You will harm your own growth if you don't meet with God's people. And so God saves us to be part of a church that we meet with regularly, that we love and serve uh, Jesus together. Now, I think many of us probably began to understand this during the pandemic. It was so hard during the pandemic, wasn't it? Being stuck at home, not being able to go physically to church. Some of you, I don't know, maybe you were, you were stuck in your dorm room by yourself for long periods of time and, and so on. It was, it was a very difficult time, and it just shows how, how wonderful and how uh, it is to meet, in, uh, meet like this physically, to be able to play games together and go to the beach together and sing together and listen to talks together. We, we weren't able to do those things for so long. And once they're all taken away, then you begin to appreciate how important those things are. What a blessing it is to be together physically as God's church. God saves us to be part of his church. Well, secondly, how does God grow us as God's church? The second point we see is that the teaching of God's word is the catalyst for church growth. The teaching of God's word is the catalyst for church growth. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We've looked at this verse a few times, but notice there are four groups of people here. You've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers or pastor teachers. Now, what do these four groups of people have in common? Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. What they have in common, of course, is that they teach the Word of God. They bring God's Word to God's people. Because the work of ministry begins with the teaching of God's word. Look what it says. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you want to be equipped to grow, if you want to be equipped for ministry, this is where it begins. With the teaching of God's word. God gifts his church with people who can teach his word to equip us all to serve God together. 
Now notice again, who does the actual work of ministry? Ministry is not so much what the pastor does or the CF committee or the CG leaders. It's what the saints do. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We said yesterday the saints are the church, those faithful to Christ. We're all saints and we're all to be equipped for ministry. So you can see my job, I'm a pastor teacher and therefore my job is to equip you to do ministry. Uh, it's not my job to do ministry. Now, of course, it, serving you is going to involve me doing ministry too. But my job is not primarily to do everything. My job is to equip you, to equip my own local congregation to serve Jesus through the teaching of God's Word. And that's where the whole process begins. Those who can teach God's Word teach it, and it equips everyone to do the ministry they're called to do. Uh, in science, uh, we talk about having a catalyst. Is there any people here studying science at uh, USM? Uh, I assume there's a few people doing science at a science university. Uh, but in science, you learn about a catalyst, right? And the catalyst is the chemical uh, that gets a reaction going. And in this case, the catalyst for church growth is the teaching of the Word of God. If you want to put it a different way, if you're trying to light a fire, then you need a spark to get the fire burning. The spark of church growth is the teaching of the Word of God. It's what's happening right now as I'm opening the Word of God to you and, and, and reminding you that we're saved to be a family, that we have a responsibility to one another, that ministry is not just the job of the pastor, that the catalyst of, uh, for church growth is the Word of God. As I teach you all these things from the Word of God, it's going to lead to action. It, it will lead to change. It will lead to growth among all of you. See, this is where it all begins, with the teaching of the Word of God. And so any church that wants to grow, any Christian fellowship that wants to grow, it has to begin here with the teaching of God's Word. And so make sure that in your uh, Christian fellowship gatherings, in your CG, that the Word of God is central. You're not just coming together to just play games all the time and share life or pray, but the Word of God is at the center of what you do. By all means, share your life, pray. But make sure that the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, is at the heart. Because you'll never grow without it. As you seek to reach out on the campus, of course, try to be welcoming. Try to connect with people. But keep the Word of God central. Remember, your goal is to, to bring them the Word of God. At your local church, as you teach your Sunday school class, as you're involved in the youth group or in the services. Keep the Word of God central. You're not just at Sunday school or youth to play games and do craft. You're there to teach the Word of God. Uh, and, of course, if you're ever asked to, to do that in some way, maybe to lead a CG or to, to serve in some way in your church that involves teaching God's Word, then seriously consider to say yes to that job. Because unless we deliberately raise up more people who will give their heart, give their time to teaching the Word of God, then we will never see the church grow. We will never see the saints equipped to do the ministry that God has called them to do. 
So God saves us to be part of the church and the teaching of the word of God is the catalyst for church growth that gets the whole thing going. So let's come to the third point then. Our mutual ministry builds up the church. Our mutual ministry builds up the church. Now, of course, if we're to grow the church, we need to know what a strong church actually looks like, don't you? Uh, You need to know what you're aiming for. So let's look again, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastors uh, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, Next slide, then. For building up the body of Christ. Uh, The image here is uh, of of a bodybuilder, and I'm sure you can all picture it right here in front of you. You know, bodybuilder, strong muscles, six-pack, all of that. You know, got a perfect specimen at the front. Uh, that's what my middle name means. There's a few Andys or Andrews here, isn't it? It means strong man. I think my name suits me very well. This is Australian sarcasm. It's when you say the opposite <laughs> of what you actually mean. Just in case you missed that, yeah? I'm not showing off. Now, what does a strong church look like? What does a six-pack church look like? Well, let's look at verse 13. The first sign is that they have unity. They have unity in the faith. Now, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity is very important if we are to grow together in Jesus. But of course, it's it's very easy in striving to be united or to get along that we actually set aside the truth. Don't forget the first point, the catalyst for for church growth is the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, But if you set aside the Word of God and you kind of seek a kind of organisational unity uh, where we're all just kind of nice to each other but we never actually talk about what the Bible says, that's not real unity, is it? I mean, one of the beautiful things about Christian fellowships on campus is that they are interdenominational. We have people that can come together from all different kinds of churches and and, and backgrounds united together around Jesus Christ. But it's often very challenging, isn't it, as you come to the CF and, you know, you have one style of how you think church or music should be and the other person has a a very different style of of, of what it should be. And and sometimes we find ourselves, and very often we find ourselves in, in, in tension together, not really as united as we hope that we, we should be. And so sometimes in our quest to achieve unity, we ignore our differences so that it no longer matters really what we believe or what the truth is. We just try to be nice. And so we do things that won't make anyone unhappy or we'll just have lots of socials maybe because it's too sensitive to study certain topics that might divide us. And what results is that actually we're not really very united as well. That you just find that there's different factions within uh, the church or the CF that are trying to push in different directions with various power plays and so on. That is not the unity that Paul has in mind here. When Paul says we're to aim for unity, he says it's unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That is... It is a unity in the gospel. It's a unity that flows from a common uh, understanding of the truth, a common conviction of the truth, a common commitment to the truth. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we'll agree on everything. Uh, maybe we might have different views on secondary matters, like what music you should play, or uh, whether you should baptise a child or not, or things like this. We might have differences on these secondary matters. But we will agree on what matters most. We will agree on the core, uh, the core truths of the gospel. We will agree together on the authority of the Bible. We will uh, agree together on the centrality of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. The kind of truth that you find out, find spelled out in your doctrinal statement, if you haven't read it recently, maybe you can think, well, what is our actual core beliefs as a Christian fellowship? See, unity, true unity, not pretend unity where we're just nice to each other, but true unity can only come by studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. It can't come by ignoring the Bible or setting aside the Bible. True unity can only come as we prioritise the teaching of the Word of God so that as it's taught, we come to a common, shared understanding of who Jesus is, an understanding that fits with the Bible's own teaching. And so we want to keep studying the Bible with humility. We want to be sitting under the authority of the Bible and let it challenge our previous thinking because there, there might be things that we didn't get right or our church didn't get right. Maybe we can learn from each other in this setting. We always need to be open that we are wrong and we need to change so that our thinking can be brought in line with the teaching of the Bible. And so if you want to be united as a CF, then don't put the Bible to the side. Put the Bible in the centre. Keep your Bible open. Keep searching the Scriptures together. That's the first sign of a strong church. The second goal of a strong church is maturity. Maturity. We see again in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God wants his church to be mature. Not children, but adults. Mature adults. He wants us to be like Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. He wants us to so know Jesus in all of his fullness that our knowledge of Jesus transforms our lives so that we become more and more and more like Jesus in our character. For example, as we saw yesterday, in sacrificial, humble service of other people. Now, the rest of the book of Ephesians could show us what this looks like. I'm not going to go through in detail, but here's a snapshot. Uh, it means putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Uh, it means uh, we don't lie, but we tell the truth. We don't steal, but we're generous to others. We don't get angry or bitter, but we forgive others who have hurt us. We walk in sacrificial love. We get rid of sexual immorality and impurity. We don't get drunk, but we are filled with the Spirit instead. We sing, we give thanks to God. We submit to one another in love. And our marriages, our family life, our working life, our study life, everything is shaped and governed by Christ and the gospel. That's the mature Christian life. And God wants us to grow up so that we're no longer children. But together, we show all of these qualities. Notice it's not just some of us 
having these qualities. Not just the leaders being mature, but all of us together being mature in Jesus. And so we should never be satisfied where we're at in the Christian life, but we should also never be satisfied where our brothers and sisters are at in their Christian life. We need to grow, but we also need to help each other to grow too, because we haven't yet all reached that goal of maturity in Jesus. So unity, maturity, and then the third one here is stability. Stability, verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So the church that is mature, the church that is united in the truth, they will be a church that is marked by stability. They will know the truth and they will stand firm in that truth together. And so they won't be tossed to and fro with every new teaching uh, that comes along. They won't always be following the latest fad from the latest mega church. They won't be gullible. They won't fall for every false teacher that comes along. They won't, you know, click into every video in YouTube and just assume that everything that is said on YouTube must uh, be the true teaching of the Word of God. They don't go along to, to every big rally and assume that everything that the speaker says is correct just because they're a pastor and so on. The person who is mature knows the truth themselves so that they're able to, to listen and evaluate what is being taught from the front. It's one reason whenever you're listening to preaching like this, you should always have your Bible open. That's one of the reasons I put the verses on the screen here. So that you can look at it yourself and you think, is that right? Is that true? Is he saying what it, what it actually says in its context? Or is, it, is the speaker twisting it to mean something else? You've got to think. I know in uh, Malaysian society we like to kind of uh, respect our elders, don't we? Uh, you know, the, the person up the front, they speak, and your job is to you know, write it down and then reproduce it in your exam or whatever it is. I know that that's normally how it works. It's, uh, uh, that's the education system that we're, we're built up on. But you can see how that can be very disastrous in a church context, isn't it? Because if you never ask questions, if you never think for yourself, then you just make yourself prey to false teaching. And there's plenty of false teachings that go around. You need to know the truth. You need to think for yourself so that you're not led astray. What are these false teachings that go around? This could be a long list that I could give you. We could talk about the prosperity gospel. You know, if you trust in Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, Everything will go well in your life. You'll overcome sin. You can talk about the new apostolic reformation with all these people going around claiming that they are modern day apostles. When one of the requirements of being an apostle is that you had to have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. So they're either 2,000 years old or they're lying. Right? We could talk about all this being slain in the spirit. We could talk about blessings of same-sex marriage. We could make a long list of all these different false teachings that go around in the churches. No, we are stable in the truth. We know what the truth is. And so when these or other things come along, we don't just get swayed around like a boat on the sea. We stick with the truth. Do you see the importance then of going deeper in your faith? Of really knowing what you believe? 
of really studying the Bible for yourself. And this really is one of the best times in life that you will get to do it. I mean, once you graduate from here and you actually have to go into the workforce, you don't have that much time anymore. It's very difficult to you know, go away for a camp like this and then still have another whole month of holidays with absolutely nothing to do where you can just sleep and watch TV. I mean, that's just unheard of. You only get like 15 days leave uh, for the whole year once you start working. So now is the time. Don't just sit around at home and watch TV. Read your Bible, read a Christian book, come to a camp like this. Now is the best time that you will ever have in your whole life to grow in your faith, to grow in your knowledge, of the Bible. I think around us, uh, lots of people uh, are quite ignorant on what the Bible says. You come to a Bible study and they'll share their opinions, we'll call it sharing, right? But we don't actually study what does the Bible actually say. And so we, we remain like children, we're immature, we're tossed here and there, and it leads to all manner of divisions, ungodliness, and so on, because we don't know the truth that will build us up to maturity. So we all need to know the truth. We all need to be growing in the truth. We need to let that truth change us. Studying the Bible is not something that is only for pastors. In fact, my job is to equip you to study the Bible for yourself. Every member, every person growing to maturity. And so that's certainly one of my hopes and goals I've been praying for you over these few days is that you will be inspired to go away from here, study the Bible for yourself. So if that's the goal then, how do we achieve the goal? Well, the means is speaking the truth in love. Next slide. Speaking the truth in love. And now we come to the the camp verse. Again, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, when he's just speaking the truth in love here, he's not just talking about speaking any kind of truth, right? He's not just uh, saying, you know, Singaporean food is much worse compared to Penang food or something like that. Uh, Or that Southampton is clearly the best English Premier League team, even though they're on the bottom of the table, even though they uh, lost like 12 games in a row, at least they don't beat Chelsea last week, but never mind. (laughs) Anyone here follow Chelsea? Well, that's pretty bad that you lost to Southampton. There you go. I mean, those are self-evident truths that I'm sure we all believe and are committed to. But none of those things is going to grow you as a Christian, are they? Right? Knowing that Southampton's the best tip is not going to make you grow to maturity in Jesus. It might help you to be friends with me, yeah, but not help you grow as a Christian. What's the truth he's talking about here? The truth he's talking about is the truth of the gospel, of course. The gospel found in the scriptures. How do we know that? Well, if we just went a few verses down into verse 21, Paul writes, Assuming you've heard about him, Jesus, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Elsewhere in the letter, it talks about the gospel as the word of truth. What's the truth that we are to speak in love, that will build us up, that will grow us? It's the truth about Jesus. It's the truth of the gospel. But you can't have gospel growth without speaking the gospel. The gospel is what grows us. 
But of course, we can only speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love if we know what it is, isn't it? You can only give what you've got. You, you can't help people to grow in their faith when you yourself don't know what you're talking about. That's just the blind leading the blind, isn't it? Into further and further ignorance and foolishness. You must know the truth yourself. Only then can you speak it to one another and help them to grow in Jesus. But notice here, it's not just enough to know what the truth is and to even speak the truth to others. You need to speak it in love to other people. Uh, It means that we need to be in relationships of love where we actually care about the people around us. That we really care that they grow in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we never rebuke them. Uh, That can be a loving thing to do too. But it would certainly affect how you would go about correcting another Christian. See, if you have all the the doctrines 100% right, you know, you can quote, you know, chapter and number from Calvin's Institutes, you know, every single verse in the Bible, you can just memorize it and, and spew it out to everyone. That's going to be totally useless if you don't love people. Of course, the opposite is true, too. If you love people, but you don't ever speak the truth to them, it's all just kind of warm and and fuzzy, let me give you a hug, then that's not going to be very helpful either, is it? No, if I really love you, if I really care for you, I will tell you the truth. Uh, Now, there are some people that just like being harsh about the truth. They're like, here it is, you know, I just need to put it out there, and it's very harsh and, and, and hurts people. That's not what we're talking about here either. We speak the truth in love. So we're people who care about the truth, who understand it and who teach it, but in a loving manner. So it's worth asking in our Christian fellowship here, do we speak the truth in love? Is there a hunger to know God's word and to share it with each other? Any church that wants to grow must create a culture of speaking the truth in love. Uh, speaking the truth in love, like we have our discussion groups after this talk later. Speaking the truth in love as we meet in our CGs or one-to-one with each other. But also speaking the truth in love as we interact with our housemates or our classmates. Speaking the truth in love with what we write on our social media posts. Speaking the truth in love as we uh, introduce the songs that we are singing. Speaking the truth in love as we share breakfast, lunch and dinner with with one another and so on. Ministry grows the church as every member speaks the truth in love. And that's is that every member part of it that he emphasizes as we come to the end here. Next, next slide. Who's doing this? So the goal, unity, maturity, stability, the means, speaking the truth in love, the people, every single member. Let's look again, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Now notice this, ultimately it's Christ the head who's growing the church, he's the one in charge here, He's the one who gifts the church with the leaders who will teach God's word and get the whole thing going. It's the truth about Christ, the gospel, that in the end is going to grow us all. And it's Jesus who grows the church. But he does it 
as every person does their part. Throughout these verses, Paul uses the image of a body, doesn't he, to describe the church. Because in a body, every part is meant to be united. I mean, if one part of your body, say your arm, is not united with the rest of your body, that's kind of a problem, right? Uh, Especially if your head is not united with your body. Uh, You're not going to live for very long if if that's happening, right? Every part of your body is is important and you will know that if you've ever for example uh, you know smacked your your toe with the door or something like that and and after that you can hardly hardly even walk or do every anything even your your toenail on your little pinky toe is important to the body every part is important and so we can only grow as each and every member works properly speaks the truth in love, because we saw yesterday that we're all called to serve. We will have a different part to play. We have different gifts to exercise. There are many parts. Some of us will have many different roles to play, but every one of us has a role to play and is important if the church is going to grow. So uh, we've seen the goal, maturity, Unity, stability, the means, speak the truth in love, the people, every member. And I guess this comes to the the, the point that I mentioned very briefly yesterday. Uh, The church can't grow if the church doesn't meet. The church can't grow if the church doesn't meet. And here I want us to just think uh, a bit about Hebrews, Hebrews 10, which might be a very famous and familiar passage for many of us. The writer says this in Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, it's the reminder that we are a community of God's people. And that if we are to press on together, then we need each other. We need to encourage and stir up one another so that we can grow together. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that word stir up there, you could translate that maybe as provoke. Uh, So maybe you saw my kids doing that yesterday, provoking each other, trying to steal the ball from each other, etc. Here's the idea of provoking, but in a positive sense, you know, trying to, uh, you know, like, like with a horse or something, you get one of those electric shocks and you, you know, you, and then it runs really fast. It's that kind of idea. We spur each other on, right? We, we push each other, grow as Christians, encourage, love, good works. We live out what we believe. And notice it says here, let us consider how to stir up one another. In other words... You need to think about it. Think, how can I help my brothers and sisters to grow? It's worth thinking, before you come along to the Christian fellowship on Friday or or church on Sunday, spend some time to think, how could I encourage someone to live for Jesus? How could I urge someone on to, to keep loving the Lord Jesus? How could I encourage a brother or sister who's suffering or struggling right now? How could I encourage a mature Christian to go on loving Jesus more and more 
very often I like to run a training called Ministry of the Pew. You guys know what a pew is? Maybe if you're in a, a contemporary church, you've never seen it because you've got these kind of comfortable chairs. A pew is like one of those old long wooden bench. long benches, which they make them very uncomfortable, I guess, so that you can't sleep during the service. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if any of you are struggling right now because the chair is too comfortable, I give you permission to kind of elbow the person next to you in love, you know. But we run this training, Ministry of the Pew, to help people to think, how can you serve when you're not on the roster? When you're not in some formal role, how can you serve other people? We help people to think. How can you help people, encourage people before the service? Maybe you can arrive early so you can welcome the newcomers. The regulars are always late, aren't they? The newcomers are always the ones who are early. Maybe you can think, who could I sit next to in, in, during the meeting? So I can talk to them, get to know them. Or during the service itself, could I sing enthusiastically so that encourages other people to do the same? Could I get out a pen and, and, and take some notes and pay attention during the talk so that it encourages the person next to me to do the same? Or how could I encourage people after the service? Maybe we can talk about, uh, talk about the, the sermon after, uh, after the meeting or invite people to, to, to come for lunch. And, uh, or we can pray for one another, ask how they're going, how can I pray for you? There's a lot of ways that you can serve, you see, without being on a, on a roster. This is what we need to do. We need to stop and think. How can I encourage my brothers and sisters and again, of course, it goes without saying that you can't do that if you're not there. How can you encourage another Christian if you didn't even turn up? Verse 25 talks about not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some get in a habit of not coming very regularly, isn't it? For some people, regular means I come once a month, once a quarter, or Easter and Christmas. That's not regular. It means regularly, like every week. I want you to imagine for a moment someone who's had a really tough week at university. They've had a whole lot of assignments due at the same time, and they couldn't submit them on time. Back at home, there's a whole lot of trouble going on. The parents are fighting uh, with each other. They've just recovered from from being sick with COVID, uh, but now they're, they're, they're better. They make the effort after all that horrible week to come along to the CF gathering on Friday. It's close to exams. They discover no one else is there, just a handful of people. And they think, why did I, why did I make the effort? Why did I even bother? Things, I should have just stayed at home in bed. What a discouragement that would be to actually make the effort to come and find no one else is there. How different. After that week, they, turn, they come to the, the CF gathering and you know, they're, they're, Wendy is there and Andy is there and Andrew is there. I don't know why you all have the same name. <laughs> Weishen is there, John is there, etc. You're all there. Everyone is there. Ready to encourage one another. You're there early and you're, you're, you're there participating actively going off for lunch together. What a wonderful community that would be a part of. A person would go away thinking, I'm so glad that I came. 
Let me say to you, if you've been neglecting meeting regularly with God's people, now's a good time to reset. Make it a priority. I, I do think it is a decision. Someone told me this when I was at university. Uh, they said, look, there's always a reason to miss CF or church. It's not hard to come up with an excuse, is it? There's always some exam or some assignment that is uh, due. Uh, you're probably tired. Maybe you're sick. Uh, maybe there's family visiting or there's some friend visiting or whatever it is. Right? There's always some excuse you can come up with why you shouldn't come along. So you just need to make it your default decision. No, I'm going to come every week. And maybe if you've got COVID or dengue or something, it's okay to stay home and recover, don't infect everyone else. But barring something quite extreme like that, make it your default decision. I will be there. I'll be there. I'll, I'll fit the family and friends around. I'll invite them to come with me. I'll do the assignment beforehand or after it, or I'll just get less marks on it. I will be there every single week. It's a decision that you make. I'll be there to encourage my brothers and sisters. We can't get into the habit of missing church, missing CF, because the stakes are just way too high. In verse 20, 25, we're told to do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day being referred to here is the day of the Lord. That is the judgment day. We read this in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There is a judgment day coming. Jesus is going to return. All who have not followed him will be burnt up with fire. And that day could be tomorrow. could be today for all we know. It could be a thousand years. But it could be tomorrow. And today is another day closer to it arriving. And so it's just, it's more important now than ever it has been before that we meet together to encourage one another. It's not an accident that straight after this verse is one of the most scariest warnings that you find in the whole of the Bible. Look what he says next, verse 26. It's like, There it is. Good job. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's what happens directly after it says, don't neglect meeting together. The two of these things are related, you see. So he's saying, if I fail to meet regularly with God's people, encouraging them and receiving their encouragement in return, then I'm putting myself and them in dire danger of falling away from the Lord Jesus. Because I'm robbing them and myself of the encouragement that I desperately need to press on. Uh, it's been my experience as a pastor that one of the uh, one of the earliest steps towards someone walking away from Christ is that they stop meeting with God's people. Usually the first thing to go is they stop reading the Bible and praying. The second thing is they stop coming to church. And 
it doesn't matter what the reason for that is. You know, they feel hurt by someone, there was a breakup in relationship, they felt, uh, you know, disappointed or disillusioned by something that the leaders were doing. It doesn't matter what the reasons were why they decided not to go anymore. Church absence is one of the key indicators of danger. I ministered to a lot of young people over the years. And I know that in five years' time or ten years' time, some of you are going to be in a very different place to where you are right now sitting here. Some of you here won't be Christians anymore in five or ten years' time. That's a reality. Some of you are going to become so obsessed with your work, your career, that you won't come to church anymore. You'll be on the fringes. Some of you will go through life always on the fringes of the church, never actively serving in any way, because other things is more important to you. Some of you will be so idolizing, getting married to someone, that you'll end up dating a non-believer, and they'll take you away from the Lord. I've seen it so many times over the years. And, and each one of those people will be in grave danger of facing that judgment from God on the final day. See, growing as a Christian, growing together, it really matters. It's not a game that we're playing here. We're talking about our eternal future. If you're going to press on as a Christian through the hard times when they come, and they're going to come, you're going to have a painful relationship breakup, maybe a marriage breakdown, you might lose a child, lots of people do that, your parents are eventually going to pass away, you might get diagnosed with anxiety or depression or another mental illness, you might lose your job or worse, lose your reputation because you've got caught up in some kind of scandal or serious sin. These things can happen and they do happen to Christians a lot. What's going to keep you going when those hard times come? Well, I tell you, you're not going to go on trusting Jesus alone. You're not going to go on trusting Jesus if you're not part of a local church. And there's no one to encourage you. And there's no one to pray for you. But none of us here needs to fall away from the Lord. None of us needs to give up on Christ in the next five or ten years. But we do need each other to stop that from happening. We need to meet together regularly and actively encourage each other to keep pressing on. I'd like to use this illustration of a bike, right? So long as you're, you're riding the bike, you're moving forward, growing if you like, then you're okay. You're not going to fall off the bike, right? It's when you stop, that's when you're in danger of falling off. So you've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep growing. Then you won't fall down. Now, it's not that coming to church saves you. It's not that coming to church or CF somehow wins you brownie points with God that makes him more happy with you. It's Jesus' death that makes you right with God. It's not coming to church that makes you a Christian, just as, you know, if you go and stand out in the car park for an hour or two later. It's not going to make you a car. You, know, you don't turn into a car by standing in a car park. It doesn't work like that. You don't turn into a Christian by coming to church. Now, at the same time, cars belong in car parks. Christians belong in churches. Where God's family, we need to grow, we need to encourage with one another. The Christian life is long and hard, 
And if we don't listen to God's word together, we will deprive ourselves of exactly what we need to go on. And so whether, uh, you know, it's the exam periods that's coming right now, whether your parent is discouraging you from following Jesus, whether you're, you think that studies and marks and careers what's going to give you purpose in life, whatever the temptation is to stop you coming to church, let me encourage you, keep coming. Keep coming and meeting with God's people. Well, let's conclude. Uh, we've seen this morning, Christianity is not an individual sport. No, in order to grow as God intends, we must meet regularly together. We must be actively connected to a local church. God saves us to be part of his church, and it's the teaching of God's word as we gather that is the catalyst for us to grow. Because as we learn the word of God, then we are able to speak it to one another, speak the truth in love, so that together we will all grow together in unity, maturity, and stability. We need to press on. The day is coming. So let's not stop meeting together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have saved us to be part of your family. We thank you that as Christians, we are never alone. We don't need to face all the hardships of this life by ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for putting us with brothers and sisters like those around us right now who can walk with us, that we can serve Jesus together. We can encourage and love each other. And so, we, so Lord, we pray that you would indeed help us to grow together as you intend. Help us always to keep your word at the centre of what we do. And help us to live it out. Help us to speak it to each other, to genuinely love each other, and to take the time to think how we can help each other press on. Because Lord, we know that that judgment day is coming. And we also know that there's a wonderful kingdom where we can be gathered with all your people forever. We long for that day. We long to be there. So help us to press on. Help us not to fall away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.